Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I was assistant director in Hollywood for the better part of eight years. Now I'm not. Today's episode is once again about the industry's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And our focus is on what the unions who represent motion picture employees are doing on behalf of their members, specifically their legislative efforts at the national level. My guests represent the various unions in those discussions. Let's go around the table, and as I introduce each of you, please take a minute to talk about who your union represents. First, Tyler McIntosh, you are the Political Legislative Director for the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IATSE. Yes, good afternoon. Um, IATSE represents over 150,000 members working in all forms of live theater, motion picture and television production, trade shows and exhibitions, television broadcasting and concerts, as well as the equipment and construction shops that support all of these areas of the entertainment industry. We are stagehands, cinematographers, animators, hair and makeup artists, studio mechanics, and many other behind the scenes crafts that create American entertainment. Uh, appreciate you having me. Tyler, thanks for being here. Next, Carrie Wood Enertson, you are the National Director for Government Affairs and Public Policy on behalf of the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, also known as SAG-AFTRA. Yes, Skid, thanks so much for having me. SAG-AFTRA represents about 160,000 members nationwide. Uh, we are actors, broadcasters, uh, dancers, singers, DJs, recording artists, um, stunt performers, and voiceover professionals. Uh, we like to say we are the faces and voices that entertain uh, and inform America and the world. So really, it's anyone you see on TV, in a movie, or here on the radio. Those are our members. Thanks, Carrie. Next up, Lowell Peterson. You're the Executive Director for the Writers Guild of America East, or WGAE. Yes, the WGAE represents TV and movie writers. When I say TV, I include uh, SVOD services like Netflix and Amazon, uh, but they do feature films dramas, late night comedy variety shows that everybody likes and many people get their news from, I should say, public affairs programs like Frontline and Nova. And we also represent thousands of people who write uh, news, both for broadcast TV and radio and for digital outlets like Vice and Vox and et cetera. Well, thanks for joining us, Lowell. Celeste Drake, you serve as the executive in charge of government affairs for the Directors Guild of America or DGA. Hey, Skid. Thanks for having me. Uh, yes, the Directors Guild of America represents directors, obviously, but additional categories including assistant directors, unit production managers, stage managers, associate directors, and production associates. And we work in dramatic film and television, news, all the streaming services that Lowell just mentioned, all kinds of things. And, and we've got about almost 19,000 members. Well, glad you could join us as well, Celeste. Finally, we're joined today by Michael Wasser. Michael, you don't represent a specific union, but rather work for the Department for Professional Employees, also known as DPE. And your title is Assistant to the President and Legislative Director. Hi, Skin. Thanks for having me. And it's good to be with our affiliate union. So DPE, right, is not a union itself. We're a coalition of 24 national unions representing over 4 million professional, technical, and highly skilled workers uh, across the country. So our affiliates include the American Federation of Teachers, the American Federation of Government Employees, unions like the Professional and Technical Engineers, but it also includes 12 unions that represent professionals in the arts, entertainment, and media industries, including SAG-AFTRA, 
IATSC, Directors Guild, Writers Guild of America East. Now, so talk to us more about the Arts, Entertainment, and Media Industry Coordinating Committee, or AEMI. That's really what's brought us here together today. So as you mentioned, it's 12 unions, the folks here and other folks. Correct. So DPE, within DPE is the AEMI, as you referred to, and that brings together uh, the unions that represent professionals across the arts, entertainment, and media industry. So that's live theater, that's opera, um, that's ballet, uh, that's film and television, that's the, um, the media that Lowell referred to, the people who present the news, which several of these unions uh, on this show have members uh, who participate in that side of things too. And so when was the coordinating committee formed? When did AEMI stand up? So DPE has been around for just over 40 years uh, and the AEMI came together soon thereafter. Uh, it was a realization among the unions uh, that their members work uh, in the same workplaces. They often share the same employers, uh, something I'm sure that your listeners know uh, from their time on sets. And so realizing that there's common policy priorities, that there's common workplace issues, uh, DBE has brought together these unions to share and to collaborate and coordinate uh, where it makes sense, uh, whether that's at, at the federal legislative level, uh, whether it's on specific issues facing uh, the arts entertainment workplace, um, and on uh, also just helping the unions uh, in their unique environments in which their members work uh, become better and more effective at the way that they uh, can engage, represent, and uh, protect the interests of their members. And so what is the typical activities for AEMI in simpler times? In simpler times, so we're, we're always coordinating and staying connected uh, through in-person meetings, uh, through regular interaction over email around issues as they come up. Uh, so every year, Congress has to appropriate money for federal arts agencies, the National Endowment for the Arts, the National Endowment for Humanities, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and obviously those uh, the arts are near and dear to the members of, of all of the AEMI unions. And of course, many of them uh, get some form of money uh, that supports their jobs. So that's an issue on the policy side. Um, we run regular uh, meetings to talk about member engagement, to talk about uh, building stronger, uh, more effective unions. Um, and uh, could also include legislative priorities as they come up uh, that may run the gamut from uh, uh, workplace protections to uh, tax fairness for creative professionals to issues that, that have faced the industry recently, such as um, joint response to workplace harassment. Yeah, hi, Lowell Peterson here from WGAE. I, I wanna give a shout out to DPE. One of the real uh, wonderful things about working with the DPE is it gives us uh, an excuse to walk, work with our sister unions on important issues ranging from political stuff to organizing. And also the DPE has folks who really know what they're doing. Like Michael gives us advice on how to talk to people on Capitol Hill that uh, would be obscure to us otherwise as the union that's focused mostly on organizing and negotiating. So it's a real nice synergy to work with the professionals at DPE and also to have this opportunity to work with DGA and SAG-AFTRA and ITSC and and all the other affiliates uh, to make change together. It's, it's remarkable that the mission that Michael articulated, we share employers, we share industries, has really come to fruition because when we actually start talking to each other, we realize how many common goals we have. And this is Celeste from the DGA. I would just add that as one of the smaller unions in this grouping, it's really great 
to add our voices to the other arts, entertainment, and media unions because when we work in coalition and speak as one, it makes our voices that much more powerful and it makes us that much more effective. So it's, it's a really good way to come together and practice that union solidarity toward achieving the goals that are good for our members in a shared way. Now, Michael, I know you listed some specific things, uh, National Endowment of the Arts, et cetera, where the efforts of AMI have been uh, important to the conversation. Are there additional uh, past legislative efforts that any of you would like to highlight as far as the work that's been done? Well, Skid, I'll start with uh, some general points and maybe uh, folks want to jump in as, as what comes to mind. But uh, one of the things that immediately comes to mind is DPE and the AEMI help to educate uh, Capitol Hill when it comes to policy issues about the importance of uh, intellectual property protections and copyright and to help members of Congress recognize that this is not a niche issue. This is, this is a bread and butter labor issue that the people who work in the entertainment industry, this is how they uh, are able to put food on the table and to make the next month's rent. And I was going to also just thinking about um, hearing from Celeste and hearing from Lowell. It, it's amazing when you're sitting in a room uh, on Capitol Hill with a staff member or even a member of Congress and you have several representatives of the AEMI unions, and you can say, the people in this room can put together a production in three days. So that what you go home and to relax and enjoy and to get your mind off and to understand the world, that person writes the script, that person directs the performance, that person built the set that, and did the makeup, did the wardrobe, got the camera angle. That is people that over there are the ones who can act and bring to life characters. Uh, and, by the way, they're all union members. So it's a pretty powerful way to show the workforce of the industries, uh, of the entertainment industry, in terms of um, what they bring to the table. But intellectual property protections uh, comes to mind as a, a specific issue, particularly as we just wrapped up a, a year where there was a lot of intense focus on trade. And yes, this is Tyler with IATSE. Just to piggyback off of Michael on that front, DPE has been uh, again, wonderful about uh, convening this group to join our voices together uh, to, for example, on the intellectual property issue, um, engage with administration officials such as uh, the U.S. Trade Representative about the uh, the dangers of potentially exporting uh, some flawed law uh, in our trade agreements, such as um, uh, the copyright safe harbor uh, and things of that nature. So um, again, and I think to, to Celeste's point as well, um, you know, this group, when we're able to join our voices together, representing the entire arts, entertainment, and media industry, um, it, it certainly uh, helps us advance our, our joint agendas. Um, and on that issue in particular, um, you know, as the non-copyright holder community, um, I think it's it's an effective strategy for us to to explain the fact that um, you know these residuals uh, from from uh, copyrighted works contribute to the health and pension plans of our members. So it really is, as Michael said, a a bread and butter kitchen table issue for our members. That's a great example of an issue that that we had all worked on together. Uh, prior to the onset of this pandemic. 
And hey, Skid, this is Carrie from SAG-AFTRA. I just wanted to sort of echo what my colleagues have, have said, and, and it's really wonderful to have a, an umbrella organization like the DPE that keeps us all together and on message. And as Michael mentioned, uh, in the copyright space, you know, where we're very involved, things like Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, we've been doing a lot of advocacy, obviously pre-COVID. Um, he puts together a group every year for Arts Advocacy Day. We go to the Hill, um, and he, you know, they really do a great job of keeping all the groups on message, setting up meetings. And so we're very grateful to have that as a resource. And Skid, I'll also add uh, another issue that uh, I think that this group has done, been very effective at, is uh, the ongoing issue of misclassification, which is the, the notion that uh, employers try to classify people who should be employees as 1099 workers. Obviously, when you are a 1099, you don't have the same protections under uh, anti discrimination laws, uh, wage and hour laws, many, many protections. You know, in recent years, there was sort of this, uh, all the popular talk in, in DC around the think tanks was about the oncoming gig economy. Uh, one of the things that I think the AEMI effectively conveys is that, first of all, when we talk about the gig economy, that Hollywood and, and the entertainment industry is the original gig economy. And the unions here have shown that you can give people their full employment rights uh, work, who work gig to gig, uh, they can work as W-2s and that they can earn real family supporting income uh, and retirement security and access to affordable health care. Um, and that can be done. So that's always an ongoing issue in Washington, D.C. And uh, the AEMI has been, I think, particularly effective in, in holding the ground on, on the importance of employment protections for people who work in these type of uh, arrangements. Well, this has all been really important work, and I appreciate you guys shedding some light and, and bringing it to the attention of our listeners. Let's turn our attention now to the current effort as it relates to the pandemic. COVID-19 uh, has brought a large national government response, and I know that the CARES Act, the Corona Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, had some unprecedented recognitions for creative professionals. I'd like to hear more about AMI's role in crafting that legislation. So I'll start. This is Celeste from the Directors Guild. And, you know, like many other industries, when the stay at home and shelter in place orders started coming in, and really even before governors and mayors were ordering it, our members were out of work. Production shut down just really across the board, except for the news space, which I think we should talk about because that's a, a piece that's ongoing and where folks are really out there and at risk of contracting the virus and bringing it home with them, it really shut down. So we had, you know, from virtually full employment to virtually, you know, almost full unemployment overnight. And we noticed that the bill before the CARES Act, it was called the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, had some programs in it that could have been helpful to our members in terms of paid sick leave and paid family leave. But the way it was written, almost specifically, left our members out because to even qualify as a starting point, you had to have worked for the same employer for the past 30 days. And there are just so many of our members who would not meet that criteria. So you didn't even get to the other criteria of how big the employer was and all these other things. They were just left out. So what we all did was work together and say, that's not gonna happen again. We're gonna look at the unemployment provisions and we are going to make sure that it takes account of the gig nature that so many of our members work. So whether they work 
they're making a commercial and they work for two days for their last employer or whether they are a director who's been working, you know, more long-term on a film or on a series or on a variety show or, or anything, they are all going to be included. And so that was our goal. And if you look at how the bill is with the inclusion of the unemployment insurance and the alternative, it does a pretty good job of including not just our members, but folks that have gig type work across the board, whether they are employees, 1099s, in our industry and construction, in anything. Lowell here from the Writers Guild. The uh, intriguing thing about working with the DPE is that we share so many of those same concerns that members of Congress really would not have been aware of otherwise. The, the, the way that our members work at the Writers Guild is you maybe you write a movie and that takes you a year of your life and then you don't write another movie for a year. Or you write on a TV show for eight months and then you're unemployed for eight months. Or you work in a news shop on staff and your hours are cut. Uh, or or you, you're between gigs and you write freelance, you know, independent contract for a while. All of these are real ways that our members live their, their working lives. And under traditional analyses on, of unemployment insurance and other kinds of assistance, all these folks would just fall through the cracks. And our members were keen to make sure Congress knew about it. We viewed this as an organizing opportunity. And the, the, the expertise of our sister unions and the DPE gave us a peg that we could go to our members and say, hey, you can really make a difference in how policy is made if you just get engaged and pick up the phone and call your representative or your senator or do some emails or sign a petition and really get active and engaged. And we had a huge outpouring of support from members, which would have sort of gone nowhere if we hadn't had this vehicle to, uh, to, to pin people's hopes on. And uh, thankfully, this massive mobilization of members on the part of all of the unions in the AMI was really successful. So democracy for a change actually worked. Hey, this is Tyler from IATSE to, to highlight that point that Lowell just made. Um, IATSE, uh, in order to amplify the voices of our members and give them that opportunity to reach out to their members of Congress and make known exactly what was laid out by Celeste in terms of uh, our members falling through the cracks of traditional uh, benefits, paid leave benefits, et cetera, uh, we were able to set up a grassroots campaign and we had over a hundred thousand IATSE members and allies send emails to members of Congress highlighting the fact that the relief packages prior to the CARES Act uh, did not include freelance entertainment workers in those benefits. So we saw such a huge outpouring of voices uh, and joining together. And I suspect that uh, a number of your listeners may have joined in on that petition. And frankly, these are not just IATSE members. We had great support from all the unions uh, participating today and others uh, joining in uh, to make their voices heard and, and non-union members as well. So uh, a great effort and certainly their voices were heard as we even saw uh, members of Congress, uh, led by Congressman Adam Schiff uh, from Burbank, uh, lead a letter, a sign-on letter with members of Congress highlighting the importance of entertainment workers and the fact that we were traditionally left out of those benefits and the need to craft something specifically in the CARES Act that would address unemployment benefits and uh, relief for entertainment workers. So it was a really a great success story. 
It's Carrie from SAG After. Thanks for that, Tyler. And, and your campaign was hugely successful. We also, I'll just add, we did put out a call to action as well for our members nationwide and, and had a, a good deal of success with them calling their representatives in Congress to let them know that our work is so nuanced and needs to be considered in terms of, you know, they have several employers throughout the year. Uh, it's not easy to, it's not the system we learned is sort of designed for people that work for one one employer in a traditional job and our members uh, for, for them it's not the case so if multiple employers they may have a combination of w-2 and 1099 income um, and they're all out of work so i think as tyler said uh, our voices were really heard um, and and that resulted in a lot of uh, those provisions in the cares act Obviously, getting creative professionals recognized in the CARES Act is a, a huge success and a lot of effort went into it, but obviously the work isn't done. What's next on the horizon as far as legislative action concerning COVID-19 and where your unions will be involved? Lowell here from Writers Guild. The news industry is in real trouble, and I think we all have a lot of members who work in news, broadcast, digital, you name it. Uh, as advertising revenue craters, because the economy is cratering, uh, there isn't money to pay our union's members to do the work. Uh, and in order to be uh, independent, journalism needs to be funded. In order to be uh, informative, it needs to have a revenue stream. And the revenue streams are drying up rapidly as the economy tanks. So we're going to ask Congress for support for the news industry. There are many industries that are facing difficulty. We want to call attention to the fact that just as a real news industry is vital to democracy, so people can learn about issues in their community, issues in Washington, issues in science, in health. It's gotta be paid for, and the revenue stream uh, has to be substituted at least temporarily by another shot in the arm from the federal stimulus program. So I know we're gonna be paying a lot of attention to a, a news stimulus, and it should all go to pay people to do work. It shouldn't go for stock dividends or buybacks or executive bonuses. It should go to people like our union's members who actually get out there every day and, and report. Yeah, it's Carrie from SAG-AFTRA. Uh, you know, our members are broadcasters and we would consider them essential workers now more than ever. Uh, we want to make sure that media organizations can stay afloat, whether it's through affordable loans or grants. Um, it's just critical that um, our media organizations are, are afloat and that broadcasters are protected. Um, also, we'd like to see any kind of anti-competitive clauses removed for our broadcasters so that they there can work as much as they can during this time uh, different organizations um, I'll also point out we want to make sure that we protect our pension fund um, in terms of um, you know if, if there's any uh, unhealthy pensions seeking help we want to make sure that the healthy pensions are not harmed in that um, we'd like to see subsidies of Cobra uh, for our members um, and I'll just uh, put a little plug for a tax issue we're working on here. We'd like to see the qualified performing artist deduction updated in the tax code for performing artists. Um, this is a very, you know, sort of old um, provision that we'd like updated to get our members a little bit more above the line uh, deductions. And this is Celeste with the Directors Guild. And I would say in addition to all of that, when, when we've got workers out working, there must be strong protections. They must feel safe mentioning, you know, where's my PPE? You know, is the employer keeping the social distancing, the, the cleaning, all of those things? Hey, Tyler, again with IATSE. And 
I think one of the, again, the great things about collaborating with this group is um, I'm sure we could all talk at length about many of the provisions just uh, just listed. And I think um, I, I certainly join my voice with, with everyone who just spoke on all of those being key priorities for IATSE as well. I think taking a step back um, even further, I would say to your question at the outset, Skid, I think in terms of subsequent legislation, um, the only certainty right now is uncertainty. Um, certainly these are the efforts that we are are pushing on Capitol Hill, um, but the, as, as many have seen, there's certainly uh, a disconnect um, between the parties in terms of what is needed uh, for a subsequent package. So we are certainly doing our best to also join our voices to underscore the fact that the entertainment industry writ large is gonna be disproportionately impacted by this crisis for the foreseeable future. It is surely our hope that our workers and our members uh, are able to get back to work as soon as possible. But what is paramount is their health and safety and relying on sound science uh, before we are rushing back to the workplace. Uh, the reality is that even after stay-at-home orders begin to be relaxed, there are going to be restrictions on mass gatherings for quite some time to come. So the reality that our members are going to need an extension, frankly, of the benefits that were afforded in the CARES Act. Yes, it was a great win and, and our members made their voices heard and we're gonna need to do so again uh, in the next couple of months. Uh, it's, you know, the work is not done as you mentioned. Uh, and, and frankly, we need the reality uh, to set in for Congress and, and, and it has to some degree, we certainly have champions on Capitol Hill who have made this point for us that we uh, are going to need to, again, follow sound science and, and not rush back. And we're gonna need to make sure that our members are, uh, are secure and, and covered through as long as this crisis lasts. Uh, and so keying in on that and the need for support for the entertainment industry writ large, we've been joining with our employers also to, to make this point and, and to work together uh, where it makes sense to to highlight some opportunities to provide stimulus for the industry, uh, certainly something we're gonna continue to do. And on that note, just, just to say, we're doing that at the state level as well, because the states are the ones implementing the unemployment assistance. So we're reaching out and saying, how can you do this better, faster, more efficiently for our members? And also making sure that as states begin to relax stay-at-home orders to the extent that our industry is involved, that it's our members who have a say in what are the safety protocols and when is it appropriate to go back to work because these are really critical issues and they can't just be done uh, by someone who has no understanding of what it's like to be on a set and have no understanding of our industry. So this is also uh, you know, happening in the 50 states as well as at the federal level. I mean, I'll just echo what the others said, which is, I mean, just to reinforce that exactly what our, what our ask is, uh, when we went, I think there was uh, um, six hours, 12 hours between uh, us uh, making sure we got what we needed in the uh, CARES Act to this group, uh, putting its head together and looking at what our next priorities were. Um, and as you've heard, it's really a two-part dance for us. It's one part, uh, the immediate term, 
stimulus for the news industry, health and safety protections for people who are working now and health and safety protections for people, professionals as they get back to work, uh, the tax issues, the uh, pension and healthcare issues, the funding for the arts uh, longer term. But the second part is educating the Hill, educating uh, staff that, that when we talk about the country reopening, that unfortunately the nature of entertainment, whether it's uh, public, large public venues or very intimate uh, workplaces on set, that the, uh, it's gonna be an extended uh, comeback for many people uh, and that the people that need help are, are a key part of the economy. And there's two ways we can learn about it. We can learn it the hard way when we don't provide uh, support for the entertainment industry and find out that 4% of the GDP hasn't come back, or we can take the steps necessary uh, to support the workers uh, in this industry so that they can keep putting food on the table, keep going to buy uh, takeout from their favorite local restaurant, keep putting money back into the economy uh, that, that they drive. Speaking from the behind the scenes perspective, that is a hallmark of this podcast. Talk to me about the difficulties of communicating these messages to Congress in the face of the restrictions, Zoom calls, not being able to meet in person. How is actually getting this very clear message to members of Congress and their staffs been complicated or how have you had to adjust? Well, I'll just start with the, the behind the scenes. I just wanted to also emphasize, we were talking earlier about what we got out of the CARES Act and how we got it, but I think I just want to uh, tip my cap to every, to Carrie, to Celeste, to Lowell, to Tyler, to our other folks from the AEMI, because I, I can remember Sunday afternoons when we got the first uh, draft of text legislation and we're all trying to read through uh, legislative language. And if you've ever looked at legislative language and you're trying to figure out what, what it's referencing and how it's going to interpret, I think in very very, very fast turnaround. We were, the folks of the AEMI were able to take legislative language and think about how does this impact our members and, and making sure we get the wording just right. Because I think if you read the headlines, you can see very quickly that the, where the, the language was not exactly clear. The uh, implementation has not always been, uh, been smooth and people have not gotten the, the help that they need. So I think the, the counterfactual is just can't be overstated of that without the AEMI's uh, shared intelligence and, and collaboration that we wouldn't have gotten language that looked out for uh, arts entertainment professionals. This is Tyler with IATSE. Certainly, uh, we're living on Zoom. Uh, I'm sure that all of our uh, cell phone records are, you know, while uh, dense in regular times, are frankly, you know, full novel length at this point in terms of. Uh, the number of calls uh, and the number of uh, touches and outreach and emails uh, we've certainly for for folks who are who are used to uh, wearing in their shoe leather on Capitol Hill and, and visiting staff and members of Congress in person uh, this has been a new reality uh, for us in the advocacy space as well uh, we've done our best to connect our principles uh, with members of Congress and folks that they have existing relationships with to to make the case on behalf of our members. Uh, we as government relations professionals have done the same, um, been on plenty of Zoom calls and it's a, it's a new reality for everyone that, that frankly, you know, we've had no choice but to, but to embrace. It's an existential crisis for, for our members. So we're, we're getting the word out by all means necessary. And, uh, and frankly, the technology is there to do so. I think, Members of Congress uh, and and legislators and decision makers have 
uh, embraced it as well and been accessible um, to us in terms of engaging uh, via the, the modes that are available to us. So uh, it's, been, it's been new, uh, but I don't think uh, it fundamentally changes uh, how we advocate for our members. I'll say that, this is Michael again, that uh, you feel like you become very, you have, I've become very good over the last four weeks of, of writing the first sentence of an email because you may only get two, two sentences to catch someone's attention. Um, and in calls, um, what were in-person meetings with Tyler was talking about where you're looking in someone's eyes and you're seeing if they're following along with what you're saying, you may not get that. Uh, it may just be a call where you're hoping that they followed through um, and you have to follow up with an email. Um, and I think recognizing that they're in the same world that all of us are in, which is an inundation of email and trying to just make make uh, their work fit in this new environment where they're working from home too. Yeah, and any, any pretense of boundaries between personal life and work life have just evaporated. We're working <laughs> yeah. o- online 24-7. Yeah, we've been lucky so far uh, as, as the father of a seven-month-old. I've certainly been on plenty of Zoom calls where there's been uh, some loud shrieking or some kind of uh, interruption. So uh, we've been lucky so far, but my apologies in advance if uh, we experience any of that on this call. But, uh, <laughs> but that's absolutely right. I think the personal and professional has been blurred as it has been for any everyone uh, during this crisis. And, and you really have to do what is necessary. I think we've all spent, especially prior to the CARES Act, uh, a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, a lot of weekends uh, that we're not traditionally working uh, to, in order to get this relief for our members. And, and certainly uh, our members as well have been, have been doing the same. Yeah, it's Carrie. I, I was just going to say it's amazing during this shutdown, uh, the workload, I think, I, I, unexpectedly has been probably the most of my career at SAG-AFTRA um, in terms of, you know, uh, advocating for these benefits and keeping track of unemployment insurance in the states and making sure that they're getting, you know, that the systems are running and we have this issue of, of residual income that our members make and how, how is that calculated. And I think it's just amazing, as Tyler pointed out, that we all have families to balance and it's, you know, we're, we're educating our kids at the same time, uh, calling the unemployment offices and <laughs> for our members and uh, doing it all at the same time. And I think we're finding out we can do a lot more than we thought we could. So it's been a very, very interesting month or month or so for, for all of us. And I, I see these people here uh, almost every day on Zoom. So it's been, that has been a delight. I'll say on the plus side, uh, if you're regularly interacting with members of Congress and, and congressional offices and you're pushing priorities, the question, the third question tends to be, how much does it cost? And that question is, I don't think I've heard asked anymore. Uh, that's sort of out the door. Nothing is, is expensive anymore after a lot of uh, people ha- who may have uh, held beliefs about uh, government spending. Uh, that's, not a, that's not on anyone's priority anymore. Uh, it's about getting support uh, to the American people. Uh, and that's why uh, we, we keep making our case that, uh, that looking out for the arts, entertainment, and media professionals is a, an important uh, part of the American economy that needs help right now. A lot of issues to track here, but I know that the legislative front is only one aspect of your efforts. Are there other independent initiatives that you'd like to highlight? No, Lowell here from the Writers Guild. Yes, we are. Um, there are. I think there are two prongs, and I'm sure this is true of all of the unions on this call and in the AMI. One is day-to-day representation of members uh, in connection with a whole range of issues. 
Uh, we still have members working, especially in news, and the safety issues are real. And uh, reduction in hours issues are real, and layoff issues are real, and negotiating severance, uh, super severance in this context is a real task. And keeping uh, members sane when they try to access the unemployment benefits through clunky, underfunded systems is a challenge. And dealing with the issue of what happens when production does resume. How do we make sure that all the unions are speaking the same language? How do Writers Guild members who are showrunners pay attention to what crew needs are and what director needs are and what, what actor needs are when they craft scripts and, and do schedules? These are all really hard day-to-day -day efforts. And I'll say another thing that's a pleasant surprise. There's a lot of organizing going on as people who are in non-union shops see the impact of the economic downturn the, the terror issues about work, lack of workplace safety, they say, hey, you know, maybe I should try collective bargaining. Uh, so we're actually seeing as much interest in new organizing now, even in the pandemic, as we did beforehand. It's challenging to organize online, but uh, it's doable. So there's a lot that I think each of the unions are doing, in addition to the important political work. Lowell, I think that's absolutely right. This is Tyler with IATSE. I actually heard from uh, one of our labor leaders in Florida just earlier this week who said, uh, and, and certainly in a tactful way, res respecting the, the certainly the somber nature of this crisis, but that it's been one of the best organizing tools she's ever seen. Uh, they've already added over 100 new members uh, since the onset of this crisis, so I think you're absolutely right. In addition to our IATSE members who are working in behind the scenes in news media, as, as Lowell has pointed out. We also actually have a number of members who have gone back to work, uh, stagehands in particular, who have been uh, deemed essential personnel to erect emergency temporary hospitals across the country, converting their traditional workplaces, whether it's a convention center or uh, something of that nature, a large space, large open space into an emergency uh, temporary hospital is work where they've been able to lend their expertise. And certainly there is a pride, I believe, that goes with that and ability to lend your skills to try to mitigate this crisis. But certainly we have the same concerns for our folks who are on the front lines doing that work. One other initiative that I want to highlight, and this was a bit ironic actually, shortly before the CARES Act became law, we launched a website, iotccares.org, which is the Coronavirus Active Response and Engagement Service, is the acronym there, that was really organized around providing support uh, for particularly retired members who, who may need assistance with uh, getting groceries, um, just having somebody to talk to, having somebody who is a resource uh, within the union. Uh, and it was organized jointly by uh, the international, our general office, but also with our, our young workers committee. So a lot of really positive work that's been going on. And we certainly have had theatrical wardrobe locals across the country uh, producing masks and doing what they can to, uh, you know, they may be out of work, but certainly have skills that they're able to, to lend to 
help uh, their neighbors and, and help their, their fellow brothers and sisters. And, um, and certainly that has been uh, heartening to see uh, so many of our members uh, lending their expertise and doing what they can. I, it's it's Carrie. I just uh, wanted to dovetail on that and 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 say you know for for SAG AFTRA we do you know represent on air broadcasters both radio and television, um, and our priority right now they are many of them are still working, um, you know there's some safety issues there's also uh, issues of you know some of the stations have lost all of their advertising money, and may need some help uh, staying afloat. Um, so we're looking at that. We're also looking at non-compete clauses and making sure that our broadcasters are able to accept work where they can get it and, you know, we, uh, without any kind of restrictive clauses behind them. But a lot of, I think, my time and our time has been spent tracking uh, issues with unemployment insurance state by state. We've gone um, to the governors of uh, many of the states where we have a lot of production and we've identified some of the issues uh, in, in our, with our members in terms of making sure that they have full access to the unemployment insurance benefits in that state. I mentioned this a little bit before, but we have, a, you know, our members earn residual income and that's uh, considered uh, as part of their eligibility and also as part of their um, weekly benefits. So we're working uh, through a lot of the issues around, around residuals, making sure that they can get full unemployment insurance benefits, um, uh, you know, through the states. And I want to just highlight again uh, a, an issue that's a priority for SAG-AFTRA, which is updating the Qualified Performing Artist Tax Deduction. We've been working on this for several years, but now more than ever, it will be helpful as long as it's retroactive for 2019, given that the tax deadline is now in July. It would provide a lot of above-line uh, deductions for performing artists like agents and manager fees, audition, you know, wardrobe, makeup, anything you need to audition. Um, we'd like them to be able to take those above-line tax benefits in July. Um, that's a current goal that we have here. And this is Celeste from the Directors Guild. And I would just add that on an individual basis, we have a charitable arm, the Directors Guild Foundation, that has always offered interest-free loans to members when they're in times of financial distress. That's been expanded to allow grants at this time. And we've also been working, and I think most or all of the other guilt and unions represented on this call have something similar, their own arm. And then we all participate in the motion picture and television fund, which is a, a collective organization. We also looking forward to going back to work and going back to work safely, as folks have been talking about. The national board put together a committee to look at this. It's led by director Steven Soderbergh, and it is going to make recommendations for back to work and how to do so safely and how to make sure those sets are safe for all of the members of the guilds and unions represented on this call. So that's something that we're doing. And then working really kind of individually on a kind of case by case basis, looking at the states and working with the relevant guilds and unions in those states, trying to address the needs of the members in California, New York, what's happening in Georgia, Florida, elsewhere, and trying to make sure that we're following the needs of members and that we're requesting that governors and state legislatures do 
everything that they can do to make sure that benefits are easily, effectively accessible to the members that qualify for those benefits. So that's been a lot of work. And then I would say the last thing is that we are working again, sometimes in coalition with others on this call on pension issues, because this is a time where our pensions have been constantly under threat by various proposals that have gone through Congress for the past several years and we've been able to kill them or stop them. And we just have to be on the lookout that those who want to advance things that are harmful for our multi-employer pension plans um, don't get snuck in under the radar in one of the coronavirus packages because that's a real threat and it really behooves all of us to make that point that yes, there are some multi-employer pension plans that are failing. Those plans are not our plans and it's not okay to hurt ours in the name of helping others. We've got to lift up all professionals who contribute to these kinds of plans and make sure that everyone has a safe and secure retirement. If folks would like to get more information, why don't we go around the table if there's websites or numbers or other resources they should take advantage of. Tyler, you mentioned iatsicares.org. Anything else you want to say about that or anything you'd add? Thank you for, for highlighting that again. Uh, yes, certainly it, it, it was born out of uh, connecting uh, of, our, of our members uh, to one another and uh, ability to, to provide resources for those who need it certainly has become a hub for charitable uh, organizations that, uh, that the IATSC has, has made contributions to uh, areas for relief for our members and as has been highlighted here in terms of uh, the ability to access information around our benefit funds and unemployment insurance information. So again, iatsicares.org and as always, uh, iatsi.net, uh, we always post our recent news as it relates to uh, our, our legislative efforts in addition to all of our other efforts uh, during this pandemic. Carrie, what about SAG-AFTRA? Where should folks go for more information about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm pretty proud of the resources we've compiled on our website, which is sagaftra.org. There's an entire COVID section um, on there that folks can go to, and we've, we've been adding resources almost daily in terms of federal and state um, unemployment insurance benefits, how to, how to you know, navigate those state by state. Pretty much anything related to our, our members in COVID is right there on our site, sagaftra.org. Lowell, what about WGAE? Yeah, we have a, a, a lot of resources on our website, a whole page on COVID-19 resources. That's WGAEast.org. And we urge our members to raise any questions or concerns with your reps, field representatives, business agents, you name it. We're all at the office. Well, we're not technically at the office, but we're all reachable through our office numbers and emails to answer any questions and, and help with problems that arise. And plenty of problems are arising. Thanks, Will. Celeste for the DGA. So again, I would say go to our website, dga.org. We have a COVID-19 resource section. It is being updated all the time. So if there's a member who's interested, you think that you already saw the section, check it again because we are updating things as the laws change, as things develop. Folks should also call their field rep if they're interested. And I 
don't know if you have this question planned, but I just want to give a plug. We've been really focusing on things that could happen or might happen in terms of coronavirus response bills. But I want to assure our members that we are also continuing to monitor all of the other things that we normally would be monitoring at the federal level. And, and in particular, we are making sure that we're following what is happening with copyright because that is of key interest to our members and it's critical to get residuals into members' hands and that we are watching that. And as soon as anything moves, we are gonna be on top of that defending members' interests. Thanks, Celeste. Michael, if folks want to learn more about DPE or AMI and the work that you're doing, where would they go? I would encourage them to look at uh, our social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, D-P-E-A-F-L-C-I-O. And there they can see uh, updates on, on what the AMI is up to and also uh, resources uh, for, for professionals more broadly. We didn't even touch on it, but uh, uh, another issue, of course, facing professionals inside and outside the entertainment industry for many is student loans. So we've put together a resource for student loan uh, or I should say postponement on student loans that have come up during the COVID-19. Um, we're always trying to track those resources for professionals, uh, particularly and in including professionals in the arts, entertainment and media industries. Well, thanks again, all of you guys for being here today. This is a lot of fun. I really appreciate you guys catching us up on, on the efforts on this front. Thank you, Skid. Thanks for Thank you, Skid. Thank you. Listeners, I'd love to hear what you thought of the episode. You can send an email to skid, S-K-I-D, at blowtheline1word.biz. That's B-I-Z. I also appreciate your feedback via iTunes. Your ratings and comments really do help us reach new listeners. And Facebook, where for your visual entertainment, I post photos and other behind-the-scenes materials at Podcast Below the Line. Finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Pod Below the Line. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Wan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Thanks for listening. Next week is scheduled as a props episode I'm pretty excited about. But there's some timely COVID-19 topics that, if the panels come together, it might take precedent. Hope you're finding both series entertaining and informative. Be safe out there.